What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 56th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside my BFCA buddy, Eric Marchin. Hey, Matt. How are you? Happy New Year, buddy. Happy 20... Jellicle January. <laughs> um, it's 2020. What's my first film I've seen in a the theater this year? You're right. It's Cats. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why, I, Matt? Why? Uh, I don't know, but it, I think it was... So, hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, this is the Untitled Movie Podcast. Each week, Eric and I get together, shoot the shit about movies. We haven't done it in a little while because of the holiday break. Uh, you can get new episodes every week. Usually drops sometimes. <laughs> you'll get a notification. Within the week. Within the week, you'll get an episode. We try to Who keep, knows uh, when, but knows. it'll be there at some point. We try point. for Mondays, but um, depending on schedules. Uh, you can get Doesn't Garfield hate Mondays? Another he sure does, but we don't. Uh, I kind of do because I have to go back to my real job, quote unquote, tomorrow. Um, if you like this, we have another podcast called Untitled Movie Reviews, where we have reviews up for Rise of Skywalker, Little Women, 1917. Uh, we'll probably have discussions on The Mandalorian Season 1, Watchmen, uh, up for you guys soon. They might not be up right now, but those will be, uh, soon. And as Eric mentioned, we are Angelical January, so who the fuck knows what other reviews are coming Underwater and Doolittle, probably. Yeah, probably will be our first two, uh, official reviews of 2020. Starting it off right. Will we ever review The Lodge? You'll see. <laughs> Uh, That's the ongoing joke. Um, maybe. We'll, <laughs> we'll review it on its release, but we saw it six months ago. Um, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody. It's uh, 2020. I think I ended my year. My last film I saw in theaters was Cats, and the first film I saw in 2020, Cats. Symmetry. Um, how you been, buddy? I'm okay. I'm a little tired. Uh, my grandfather got out of the hospital, which was nice. That's and, good news. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it's it, we've just been kind of working around family, and I have been working around, uh, you know, his schedule and making sure that... He's settling back in and and getting used to sort of you know the daily routine and and what have you. But other than that, um, I haven't really been to the theater. Um, watched all nine hours of season one of The Watchmen in one sitting. In one sitting. <laughs> um, and I started at like six p.m. and went until four a.m. Well, you're like, oh, just started season one of Watchmen. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And then I talked to you a couple hours later, and you're like, episode four is amazing. And you're, I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I thought you'd maybe watch in a couple chunks. And then the next morning, you're like, that was incredible. <laughs> That's how I normally do it, though. Like, I normally wait until it's all there. If if it's not, you know, in in, in a Netflix kind of capacity, and then you consume then- it almost like a film, right? Yeah, because that's the way I rather watch something. I've always been, you know. In the sense of of watching a movie or like a TV show, like a movie, like I just need to watch it in one go. I just need to absorb it all at once, and it it's actually appreciated that you know it's it's only nine hours. You know, like only, I'm like yeah. like yeah, well, because lo- like if it was like Lost, it would have been four hours. You spent a whole day. Yeah, and and so that kind of stuff works and it was the same thing with like stranger things where like i literally just went through it in one sitting yeah i'm i usually can't do that although like i cap out at like the movie length which is like two or three hours before i'm like i need to watch something else or do something else so i'm not like a huge binge watcher unless it's something like again stranger things i think i went through pretty quickly but i think i watch them usually in like you know, three episode chunks or two or three episodes in an evening with Nevis or Nevis will fall asleep around like 1130 or midnight. She can't stay up till 4am binging something. So it's usually when Nevis starts falling asleep. That's when I tap out, but that's awesome. So you you liked it. I liked it a lot. And uh, I've also been listening to, I finished that as well uh, yesterday. 
um, the HBO Watchmen podcast hosted yeah. by Craig uh, Mazin and uh, guest. The, the guest every week is Damon Lindelof. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it was it was excellent. And and listening to Damon Lindelof, like you can tell he's learned so much since Lost, right? And like how he's kind of taken those experiences from both Lost and the Leftovers, and both the good and the bad. And, yeah, and 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 is and is sort of made Watchmen. It's you know the the child that's come from from both of those. Doesn't experiences. it feel that way? I mean, I haven't seen much of the leftovers, but yeah. well, the leftovers, like especially the last season, feels like the Watchmen because it's literally a writer going off course, right? Like once they kind of completed the first season of the leftovers, they had adapted the book and then they didn't know really where they were going. And you could tell that in the second season where there are some episodes that are really good, but it's also very experimental and it feels almost like they've rebooted it because they didn't know what else to do with the storyline. And then with the third season, it was like, okay, we're now doing our own thing, even though we're taking characters that are from an existing source material and playing around with, you know, um, the legacy of these characters and the ideas behind them and sort of what it means to be the last people, uh, you know, on, on planet Earth. And he kind of takes that approach to Watchmen. Yeah, right? and, and, and it works perfectly with Watchmen because I think with Watchmen, you can do the same thing over again, but you'll just be regurgitating basically what the twenty, uh, the 2009 movie is, maybe without all the style and the excess that Zack Snyder brought to it, but you know that story. And, and what for they're the do- most part, it was a pretty faithful adaptation. Yeah, they're, create- they're, they're, they're creating something new out of something that already exists and is already considered to be, you know, the holy grail of graphic novels and comic book adaptations and, and, and storylines. And they're making something that is an expansion on it. And I think that this is what you talked about it and we've talked about it a little bit more. This is what like Star Wars should be doing. And this is what also what I think comic book films should be doing. They shouldn't, you know, adhere to, you know, the strict sort of um, boundaries of what comic book storylines are. Like you can take certain things that work, certain elements, certain characters and plot, but you can actually adapt them and make them into a more timely construct the way that this is very much about race and about legacy and the idea that like you know these themes keep coming up and these images i mean obviously the eggs keep popping up and you know references to batman and superman as well and the idea of what you know, motherhood means and what, you know, having, you know, people of color sort of look at nostalgia differently to what, you know, white characters look at nostalgia. And those things are really provocative and interesting. And they're done in such a way that are, you know, incredibly um, thoughtful. And you can tell that they, you know, the writer's room took so much time in putting this thing together and making sure that they got it right because it could have blown up in their oh, faces. 100%. And uh, I think that. And the nostalgia episode, too. Like, uh, yeah. A God Walks Into a Bar, I think, is one of the best pieces of editing I've seen, maybe next to Apollo uh, 11, it, all of, from, from all of last year. I agree. Yeah. And then the. Um, the the Minutemen episode where you see like the actual 
sort of behind the scenes of that when angela takes the the, the nostalgia uh, pills yeah and that's all in black and white yeah it's also amazing with will reeves um uh uh, yovan adepo uh who who plays the younger version uh louis costa jr plays the older version um is incredible to watch because again it's experimental but it's it's showing you history but history that is you know cheating people that are going to read it afterwards right like even even with the 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 joke of like you know the tv movie within the tv series american hero story american hero story and like how that is playing against everything that actually happened and almost how insulting that is yeah and i you bring up that I think I said this when we talked about it a few weeks ago, so I don't want to repeat myself, but the the show does such an excellent job of giving you exposition in a way that is both part of the plot of the show, because that entire episode is essentially sort of, it, it's a flashback. and but Well, like, it's backstory to a character that we haven't spent a lot of time sure, with. Sure, but throughout the show, they, they make backstory, like the characters are experiencing the exposition and... Um, in a way that just feels organic and doesn't feel forced. And, and I like that it treats you like an adult throughout the whole show and treats you – and Lindelof talked about this in, in, in the podcast. He's like, you have to – when you're writing a TV show like this, you have to hope that your – he's like, you have to think that your audience is smart enough to get it, right? Like you can't spoon feed them everything or think that they're idiots and need to overexplain everything. You need to find that fine – balance of going we trust that you are smart enough to follow this and we don't need to give you everything yeah right? and spoon and that actually everything. also works in one and i don't want to reveal it but one storyline with with jeremy irons's character and sort of you know his situation who he's sort of um involved with those characters i know i'm being a little bit cryptic yeah. and walking around it but like that's a whole thing of how exposition is handled in a very interesting manner. And like those sequences that were shot in Wales that were shot right after the pilot was greenlit to go to series could be its own film. And like, you're watching it and you're like, how is this going to all connect back to, you know, and it doesn't come together until like episode eight. And you're just like, Holy fuck. It's it's so specific in its connections too. like everything has like this specific payoff that, all comes together in such a satisfying way that like I can even see people that maybe are you know have been critical of of Lindelof in the past and not having you know the payoffs that they wanted looking at this and being like okay like he truly has matured and he is looking at this in a way that like you need to have you know intrigue and mystery but you need to back that up with an explanation and he does so yeah perfectly and i don't think you need to answer everything but if no, you're putting no. these big things out there you need it like you said it to be satisfying by the end and like he wrote this as a self-contained one season thing and and i really i'm fine if it's if this is all it is i think lindelof could um, it could just walk like he seems to not be interested at the moment to rush into you season two. It. And he Why? said, like, yeah. And he's even said like, I, I, I would rather just walk away. And I think if he does do something else, like, it, yeah. And, and, and again, I'm like sure HBO would give him a lot of money to do whatever the hell. Yeah. He or, wants, or anybody like, now that has seen that like franchise wise would be like, okay, well like, let's look at this approach and see how we can take something that's old and make it new again yeah. and and fresh and exciting and actually relevant to what's going on today because the thing that surprised me the most about it is that yes it's you know historical fiction but it is taking actual historical events and sort of playing with those moments in time and those moments in history that are 
pivotal to what happened in reality and it's doing it in a very aggressive manner and it's not being shy about it it's saying like this is about race this is about racism relating to the u.s specifically and how again nostalgia plays a huge role into that because one person might look at you know the past and say gee you know the 1950s were a swell time for people and then you look at someone who you know is black or asian or jewish and it's like buddy like that's not the only perspective on that period yeah and it's and it's and it's a welcoming and refreshing you know idea to sort of present out there that needs to be talked about more yeah and you said historical historical fiction but what i love about that is that it's taking real life events it's set in a 2019 that is i mean obviously much different than the 2019 we live in but it's still saying so much about both our history and our present i think that is super super interesting i think why the show is so great and like even though it deals with superheroes and gods and things like that like you said it is about race and it is about what's going on kind of in the u.s kind of in its history and what's going on right now yeah i mean damon lindelof talked about on the podcast that you know charlottesville specifically kind of gave him uh a, a certain amount of inspiration to tell this story and sort of reflect how you know the events in charlottesville are you know still ongoing now and race has always been something that the u.s has been reckoning with but you know how how is it sort of changed today and even though yeah like it is historical fiction and it's a comic book movie but it's not alien to the point where you can't see what's going on in the depiction of this story and of these characters and the world that you know Alan Moore originally created and say like okay there's there's a relevance to what's happening in this world into in in ours as yeah, well which and, is what the 85 comic did too yeah, right especially turned- with you know the with the cold war and a nuclear holocaust yeah. and things like that and and that is also still brought up in a very interesting w- way as well and i like how it expands bringing characters in that are new and fresh but also playing with the legacy characters and sort of saying like, okay, we can do something that's new with them and we don't actually have to necessarily even bring, you know, everybody back to do that. And I, and I really wish that like, you know, JJ kind of took those cues with the star Wars movies, especially for, uh, the rise of Skywalker, because I feel like the way who would have guessed we said JJ should have learned something from Damon. Right. But the way that, 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 Damon Lindelof handles Dr. Manhattan and that whole sort of story is how I think he should have, spoiler alert, should have handled Palpatine in a a weird way. Because they don't just throw Dr. Manhattan at you out of nowhere. Like, they give you specific hints throughout the entire thing. Which then comes together in an incredible moment. And I, I, dude, I haven't had that type of reaction, and I know exactly the moment you're talking about. And again, we'll be cryptic here. We'll probably end up doing a spoiler cast for it, because I think we both love the show enough. But um, that moment in that episode, (laughs) with that reveal, um, is incredible. And I... I think both of us, we've seen enough, you know, television movies that, like, things don't really get me anymore, you know, like, from a surprise or, like, a holy shit. You, like, I wasn't expecting that or it to go there, and it was, like, a genuine surprise to me where I literally was, like, 
looking to Nevis and looking at the TV and going, holy fuck, it was right in front of your face the whole time. But the way that it all comes together, and like you said, every payoff feels so fucking satisfying and well thought out, and like, it doesn't look like they were just making shit up as they go with going back to this Star Wars trilogy. I love them, but... Yes, kind of feels like you're kind of making it up as you go, right? Which right. George Lucas and you're leaning mean. too heavily yeah. on nostalgia, yeah, you know, and what came before instead of expanding on that in an interesting way. Where I feel Lindelof totally understood that, like, in order to tell this story the way that you know Moore did in the 1980s, is that you have to look at what's going on in the world now, yeah, and also specifically because. You know, Moore's a is a Brit, and and Damon Lindelof is is American. You're getting a very American story here with looking at race, legacy, and you know motherhood, and the idea of what you know being a vigilante or someone wearing a mask is in, in like in in 2019. Like I think that the idea of like police wearing masks in 2019 is a very provocative. Yeah idea and the images of them were still very stylish and fits that universe so well right like it's it's fucking great man and even like the stuff of the seventh cavalry like how they adapted rorschach yeah like how it's taken out of context and like again and twisted they couldn't bring him back but the way that his legacy lives on is fascinating yeah dude i'm so glad you watched it and um we'll definitely do a spoiler cast um hopefully sometime this month we'll do that um i should mention too today's episode we are going to be talking about our top I almost feel like I should put Watchmen uh, at number one because dude, like, I, Watchmen is like – again, it's not a movie. I understand that and I know I've talked about it with I don't know, care. I just in went into my list and forgot and I put it on. There. Good so, for you yeah. because like I, I honestly feel that that is as worthy as any film that I saw in 2019 to be on – you know, a, a best feature film list. Yeah, I agree. And uh, you might see it pop up later in the show. But yes, we will be talking about each of our top 25 films of the year um, towards uh, that, which will be our big topic later in the episode. Because there's not much trailer or news content this week because over the last couple weeks over the holidays there hasn't been much other than a few things um but dude i'm so glad you uh you watched Watchmen, and and i know switching gears a little bit now we're talking about television or streaming or, or whatever the hell you want to call it but talking about mandalorian and and um I love The Mandalorian. I, I, I enjoyed its first season, minus maybe one episode I really didn't like. Which um, I think is the episode I actually really enjoyed. The Tatooine episode? Oh, no, no, no. The Prison Heist Oh, I episode. love that episode. Oh, I, I thought no, you were the only episode like, get I back to it. Uh, no, that episode I really liked, but I was like, we need to get back to the plot. I love the episode. I was, and then the next episode and the next one got back to the plot. Right. So I was totally fine with it. I don't make... I don't mind them taking, you know... Detours. Side missions yeah. or whatever, and and kind of doing that. To me, in an eight episode season, you kind of you gotta unless this is what the show is, then you I need. Well, I think a that's little kind bit. of what the show is. Like every week, you have the gunslinger wandering into a new town and taking out the trash or Which having cool. to survive. Right, and I like it. Other than the Tatooine episode, but, I, I agree with you um, on that one. That's the weak spot. But then looking at Watchmen, and I'm like, this could be so much more. And I'm not saying Star Wars or even The Mandalorian needs to be Watchmen. But to me, Mandalorian just feels kind of like, okay, this is a good, you know, first baby step to what I baby want. Baby Yoda step? Yeah, to what I want the Star Wars universe to start doing. And, and But it just doesn't feel 
meaty enough, if that makes sense. Like, right. I, just I mean, like it's we more episodic yeah. than than Watchmen, but I, I do we agree with you when, just, when we're comparing the two. Yeah. But I will say this for the Mandalorian: I think the Mandalorian is the right baby Yoda step. I agree to take because it does feel like we don't have to necessarily be connected to the Skywalker saga. We don't have to necessarily even be connected directly to even you know, the Jedi mythology. Like, Yoda's, Baby Yoda's there, but yeah. it's not about but the, more the you explore that, I specifically, think you, the right? The more you explore that, I think the more you get into that. Yeah, and, on and that's my fear moving on, is that we might get to a point where it's like, oh, we're going to have, you know, young Luke in this, or like those characters, those... Right. But I think with this first season, it's showing you that there's there's a world to explore that's outside of what we've seen in these last nine films. Agreed. And that's why I really enjoyed the first season as a whole, yeah. right? Like, again, I don't think there's a lot of meat on the bones there, but I, I did... You know, I agree. I did enjoy... I mean, Baby Yoda took over the universe, and then and and I really thought the majority of the episodes were highly entertaining. Um, uh, Deborah Chow's episodes are probably two of the best, which is the... Pr- not the Prison Break one, the one right after that, yeah. right? Um, the Prison Break one is uh, Rick... Um, Femi Yua, right? Yeah, which um, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, it was great. And like that's Bill the Burr of, and Clancy oh, Brown. Oh, Bill Burr God. with a Boston accent in a <laughs> Star Wars movie. Someone's like, wow, Space Boston exists. And it's like, well, which why not? great. And, and where that season finally... Those last two epi- episodes... Um, were really great, and I think Taika's episode, and I didn't expect him to inject so much of his humor, because I didn't really find the show all that funny throughout, other than, like, there were moments here and there, Um, but the way that that cold open starts with um, Jason Sudeikis and Uh, Adam Paley, yeah, it's just, it's such a Taika moment, and it's just And also the one bit with Carl Weathers, um, do the the baby Yoda (laughs) wave. Which is a great moment, yeah, do the magic hands or whatever, yeah. (laughs) Um, and I don't know. I thought the season came together really well and ended on a really, really high note. It, it felt janky at times and didn't feel like it was meaty enough. But I hope, again, if you look back to some of Netflix's earliest stuff or even the earliest stuff on HBO, like you're going to have huge hits, but you're going to have kind of stumbling and like blocks. And, yeah. And, I mean, the way that, like, again, I feel bad that we're comparing The Mandalorian to Watchmen because Watchmen's one of those things where I could go back and start rewatching it. Yeah. And find maybe so much more in a second or third viewing where it's like, oh, I didn't even notice this specific Easter egg or this specific, you know, music cue. Like, um, Islands of the Stream, the, the, the Dolly Parton, uh, uh, Kenny Rogers song that plays uh, in the opening, like, farming scene, I think is of episode yeah. four before Lady True is is introduced is incredible and it reminded me of like you know the the commercials in uh robocop you know the way that paul verhoeven Mm -hmm. satirizes american culture and even like the trent reznor atticus ross score amazing incredible you can tell like they are at sometimes going full-on john carpenter they dude i thought the exact same thing it sounds like halloween at times when like well with the police um, yeah so anytime you have like those you know black suvs like yeah. driving at, at night it's, it's awesome yeah. and then like the life on mars cover the the bowie song is incredible and careless um, whispers careless whispers throughout that whole episode so we keep going back to Watchmen, but that's what i wanted to feel because again the first star wars television show like and seeing Watchmen, i just feel like there's such a quality like it's there still was something missing from Mandalorian, even though I highly enjoyed it and I'm excited to see where it goes in the future and where Star Wars goes on on on, on streaming services and, and in a TV show style format. Um, but I just 
I want it to be dense and intelligent and because I feel like there is you can tell a story like that in the Star Wars universe and and I'm fine with just a gunslinger uh you know lone lone gunslinger protecting this baby yeah lone going, wolf and cub yeah, style like, I, I'm cool line. with that too but I still I found that there was that three episode gap that I liked the farming episode with the the space shrimp. <laughs> And oh yeah, um, yeah, the, the and krill. I liked the Prison Break episode. There was that middle episode in Tatooine with Bobby Cannavale's son, who sucks. Yeah, he's and, not good. Um, I like Amy Sedaris though. I I thought she was. I don't think she fit. Like I don't know. I, I she didn't performance work for wise me. though. I don't think she was bad. I think she no, was I giving think a the kind character of was just caricature kind of, kind of performance, exactly. but it works for you know that kind of like alien world, right? And I like the idea. Of Tatooine kind of being almost abandoned after Jabba, after died, Jabba, like, yeah, yeah, like that's kind of interesting. But I wish there was more exploration into that yeah. than just kind and of I like, feel like the a pit stop. The thirty forty minute episodes, I don't know if I'm on board with those or if I want them to be a little bit longer. Or I like that they're um, they're short and digestible, and they mm-hmm. kind of have a nice hook, and they kind of get you in and out as soon as possible. And again, you know, Watchmen's doing a different thing because it's it's yeah. more relevant and topical, and it's trying to sort of hit you with so much more where Mandalorian its first and primary function is entertainment. Totally. But what I what I mean is that I think Star Wars can also be that. And I, I'm not saying we need that out of Mandalorian. But well, you I know what we, we have to do. We have to get Damon Lindelof to do, yeah. do a Star oh, Wars series. You Two things would excite me. Lindelof doing a Star Wars series on Disney+. Plus. Although I don't think they're ready yet to give someone like him like with no. everything that's happening right now we're still in that phase one kind of mentality yeah, where it's like we're we'll still give it very to the protective. company man like i like yeah. favreau john favreau but like john favreau is a guy that you know can play ball with the producers and sort of you know be more malleable with them where Damon Lindelof is a guy that has a, more of a vision, right? But and, I think we will get there. Like now oh, that yeah. the Skywalker saga is over, and and Disney has fumbled a little bit with the Star Wars properties, whether it's critically or with the fans or financially. But like, I mean, most of the movies have done fairly well, other than like Solo, um, which I think still did like okay. Didn't didn't do like Ant Man numbers? Like we were yeah. looking that up, which is like it's fine. But well, hoping- yeah, even Rise of Skywalker is doing still really well. Yeah, so I just hope that moving forward they do that Marvel like Marvel in Phase One was very protective over their properties, right? Like yeah, um, and it was generic like, origin story exactly. after generic so origin story. I'm hoping we're once we get into this new phase or whatever of Star Wars content and and movies and television shows, we we start to give the control back to some of these creators and let them do something interesting um i mean we're i mean with an obi-wan show we're still kind of playing in the same kind of you know storyline and universe there was rumors i don't have it on the news but that the new star wars films that they're they're going to be doing um supposedly are set 400 years in the past it's still playing in the same era that the benioff and weiss were playing in before they uh had to move on right (laughs) i used air quotes (laughs) um and then uh it seems like they want to take the route where they're more singular films with different characters that they want to build up kind of like a marvel style which i don't know how i feel about that but like um i don't know it's exciting that we don't know where it's gonna go i think mandalorian's a good first baby yoda step um and uh I clone wars is in february season seven's coming which i think will explore some of the stuff we saw near the tail end of uh 
of uh Mandalorian, especially the last scene. Um and then there's also Rebels, which I think explores some of that stuff too, which isn't coming back, but there are a couple seasons which I'm making my way through right now. I guess we're already talking about what we were watching. So I finished Clone Wars uh, up until the most recent uh, season, which is coming back February 17th. Uh, that was awesome, and that explored, I think, a lot of – it actually was a great you know companion piece to Mandalorian because it explores a lot of Mandalore and, and – uh, a certain weapon and uh things like that so uh, i i thought that was perfect to kind of follow up mandalorian by continue to watch clone wars and then i started on rebels which i think also explores some of that stuff um but yeah i'm excited to see where star wars is going which i think we talked about in our in our last uh episode at, at length when we did our rise of skywalker spoiler cast which you guys can check out right now on this channel um we've been off for a few weeks have you been watching a ton other than watchmen and, and finishing off mandalorian i can run through what i've seen yeah sure you'll go through and then i'll also run through mine afterwards. i watched the 2018 grinch because my parents put it on because i purchased it for in like for 10 bucks and 4k it's fine it's yeah, cute it's okay it's yeah perfectly fine <laughs> i don't really have anything to say about i don't it. either it's just like oh that was it's, it was enjoyable to watch on, like, you know, Christmas Eve, I think, my right. mom put it on, or whatever, Christmas Day. Or yeah, something. I'd say maybe the, I don't know if I want to say offensive, but I, you can tell, like, they're extending it for, for running time. It's like, okay, let's add this backstory of the Grinch being, a, you know, a foster kid, and that's why he doesn't like Christmas and all this stuff. And that was in like, the Jim Carrey one, too, wasn't it? Maybe. Yeah, I think uh, it is. I think that was... But it seemed, it almost seemed more dickensian in this version then right i was half paying attention to be honest yeah um but fine i don't know i uh, don't really have much else to say uh nevis and i went to the cinesphere to see die hard um which you pros and cons pro they showed us the tenet uh prologue on imax 70 millimeter film which i had no idea was happening which was incredible i mean we we talked about it on the last episode we both had already seen it um before rise of skywalker in imax laser on digital um but i was seated for die hard and it started like five minutes late and i was wondering what was going on and then all of a sudden i see the imax logo and it looked like you know you see some scratches and stuff and i'm like that looks like film what the hell and why is the imax logo even popping up because die hard wasn't in IMAX. Um, and then the Warner Brothers logo came on and I realized it looked exactly like, you know, Dark Knight on film. And I'm like, oh, fuck, they're showing us the Tenet trailer on film, which I had, I think only a few theaters around the world were doing. Um, and they didn't advertise this at all. Um, that was incredible to see it again. Um, I think it looked even better on film. Uh, it, I was blown away that they they showed us that that looked awesome. fingers crossed that they might play it yeah you know what because scotiabank got rid of their 70 millimeter imax projector they only have imax with laser um cinesphere has both a laser projector and a 70 mil projector and then the two closest uh 70 mil imax in toronto are vaughn and mississauga I think because I saw Dunkirk with Nevis in mississauga and then i saw it in mississauga um, as well oh yeah you went down there to see it yeah, yeah. so in February, I think we're going to go to a couple um, of the 70 millimeter IMAX Nolan stuff at the Cinesphere because we did see Dark Knight, but it was an IMAX laser a couple years ago, right? Or a year ago? Year and a half? Or... Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm ready. I could go see it again on film. So I think we're going to do that. And then you just saw Interstellar at uh, uh, TIFF. At TIFF. Yeah. On 70, 70, mil, 70 right? millimeter one. Yeah. But it was the widescreen, just 70 mil version. Yes. Yeah. Which um, I actually 
liked it a lot more. Interesting. I, it, it had been a was while. Was that only the second time you'd seen it? No, or? third. Third. Because okay. I saw... The first time I saw it was at the Scotiabank Theater for the press screening. And then the second time I saw in it IMAX? was with... In yeah, IMAX? In okay, IMAX. Cool. Uh, the second time I saw it was with Kyle at Landmark. And then this was the third time. And watching... Because I haven't seen this one out of all the Nolan movies. This is probably the one I, I haven't killed yeah, yet, I, so to speak. I'd like, say, I haven't yeah. worn it out. Yeah. And I think I really appreciated it on this watch. There's still things that are very... Like, Nolan's not good with sentiment and, and, and stuff, emotion, right. especially, like, he almost, he's so close to being George Lucas in that regard, where, like, he... You're like, he, have you spoken to a woman before? <laughs> yeah, but, but in this case, it's like he's speaking more to his children. Yeah, exactly. Sp- specifically his daughter. And, like, some of the stuff with Jessica Chastain doesn't work, and but the, the visuals... Stuff, I don't... No, no, but the visuals I think are really strong. I think the performances are good for what they are, except for Jessica Chastain, which I think she's just maybe miscast. Um, But I was just kind of appreciative of what was going on visually this time around, especially also the sound and sort of the structure of it and just how he plays, again, with time. Like, time seems to be the thing that he's obsessed obsessed with, with. yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited to see that again in IMAX because I saw it at Scotiabank. I don't think it was in film. It was on, or back then it might have been on film. I forget. Do you remember? I think it might have been one of the first laser. Ones, yeah, I think but, it was laser. Um, and then Dunkirk, which I've seen now twice, which was the Mississauga, and then at TIFF I went to that. Uh, I believe was in 70 millimeter film. During uh, the film festival, Nevis might correct me, pop around the corner or something like that. But was the um, Dunkirk screening at TIFF in 70 millimeter or laser? IMAX. She went, ill. I forget. She says she thinks it was 70 millimeter. But Nolan spoke then, and it was cool. Like, it was one of the only Q&As I would ever stay for during the festival. So, uh, anyways, I'm excited to see those three. Tenet looks awesome on film. I hope it plays Cinesphere, because it would be the only theater downtown Toronto that could play it on film. And it seems like if he told them, like, send a 70 mil print to Cinesphere to show before fucking Die Hard. Like, right. Uh, which I'm sure they showed bet- before every action movie that they were showing. And they probably will show the- it before all of these Nolan movies in February as well. Um, anyways, but then Die Hard, we start watching the movie. It's great. We're watching it in a theater. Everyone's super into it. Um, Hans, booby. Yeah, God, it's great. And um, it was awesome. I don't think I'd ever seen it in a theater. And um, on that giant Cinesphere screen was incredible. And then halfway through, the movie started skipping and freezing. Yeah. And uh, I don't think they... The, I think the projectionist went home after the Tenet trailer <laughs> or uh, teaser. Um, and they couldn't fix it. Like, we kept going out. I kept going out and going, what? I Like, just stop it and restart it. Like, at this point, it's a digital projector. And they're like, if we stop it, it takes a half an hour to reboot. I'm like, I don't think that's true. I mean, maybe if you shut the entire thing down, I mean, just stop the movie and kind of, like, rewind it a little bit and start it and see if that does anything. But uh, we eventually left because... it was so bad, and I'm like, I, I can't do this. I own this movie. We can go watch it at home in 4K. So finished it at home. It's great. Christmas classic. Um, still a fantastic movie. Um, then crushing a lot of Disney stuff. So uh, I got my sister this board game called Disney Villainous for Christmas. 
And I've probably played it a hundred times because Nevis is obsessed with it. And uh, literally oh. the only thing I ever want to do ever again is play this game. <laughs> um, she loves it, and it is a very fun game. So you play as Disney villains, and it's kind of like a card game mixed with. It's not a. Everyone has their own realm, and you play as your own Disney villain, and you basically have to. Uh, you have an objective that you have to do, which ultimately is like based on the movies that these characters come from. And it's actually a lot of fun if you know the movies very well. Um, been playing that a lot. So we watched, um, obviously Hades is one of the villains in one of the packs. So we watched Hercules, which I hadn't seen since I was a kid. And that movie still slaps, dude. It's so good. Even with um, the voice of yeah. James Woods? James, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, he's good as he's, Hades. He is. He's a garbage person, good as Hades. Um Hercules still fantastic, um, and then one of the characters was Doctor Vasilier, who is from Princess and the Frog, which I had never actually seen because it came out in two thousand nine. Yeah, it, and the big deal was that it was, it was the, the last first animated. Movie, yeah, and it right? was the first African American yeah. princess character. Yeah, and it was the, the last, last hand drawn film as well. Um, and it's really good. Yeah. Um, it's uh a classic Disney film. And like, I didn't really, I, I remember working at Cineplex when it came out and I would have been 20 years old. And I think that era between when I turned 13 and until my probably mid twenties, I thought I was too cool, cool for, for school yeah. yeah, and didn't watch Disney movies anymore. Right. So there's that weird era where I don't think I watched Lilo and stitch. I don't think I watched a lot of that stuff that came out in the mid two thousands. And then, um, and then Princess of the, and the Frog, um, I really enjoyed. Watched with my sister and Nevis. And I don't think the animation looks quite as good as the stuff from its heyday in the 90s. Like, it still felt a little Or even in, you know, janky. like the late 30s, early 40s, yeah. right? Like, like there's, there's a quality to those films where when they were made, yeah. right? Like, where this has that mix of, like, digital and hand-drawn, and it just doesn't feel like... They have those animators that knew exactly what they were doing with hand-drawn animation. Yeah, they're cutting corners. It, it seems like they were a little bit. The movie I still think is 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 really really good. Um, I Keith was David's joking. a voice in it, right? Yes, he plays the villain. Excellent, and and that's the villain who's in this game. I've been and, watching a lot of Gargoyles, and, and he plays Goliath oh, on yeah? Gargoyles, and nice. I love that guy's voice. He's great, dude. He's a perfect villain in this, and. Um, I did joke, like, it is, you said, the first African-American um, uh, Disney princess who becomes a frog for 75% of the movie. <laughs> and you're like, oh, come on, guys. Um, and But I get that, like, what I liked about that, though, is that, again, that was a huge deal, but they didn't, they just made it a Disney film, right? Because, you know, I mean, in Emperor's New Groove, David Spade gets turned into a fucking llama. I mean, Disney movies, they get turned into animals all the time, right? right. So it's not like they were like, oh, we, we need to really drive this home. And, like, you needed to drive it home, but you didn't treat it any differently like any other Disney film, which I think is actually a good thing. Um, although it feels a little weird that they're frogs for most of the movies. Right. And well, Beauty and the Beast, though, as yeah. well. And, yeah. And um, the other thing, there's a great character, which... Again, talking about problematic people who voiced great characters is like, I mean, uh, we talked about Hades and Jim Cummings, the voice of Winnie the Pooh, did the voice for this Firefly in the movie. And it's a really kind of weirdly emotional story with this character. And he's a great character. Um, 
but that guy right. from but, some of the I mean, stories he, that he came voices out. so many characters. Again, I mean, he's yeah. he's in gargoyles everywhere. Yeah, I know. So. It's, you can't really hold the movie or, or the character or the writing against that, um, yeah. and, or the performance even in some of these cases. But um, anyways, Princess and the Frog, um, excellent. And uh, then we also watched um, a Disney shill. They own us. Yay. <laughs> um, I watched Imagine... Corporate fat cats. Yeah. I, uh... Not, I'm not really a shill. It was a joke. But um, I watched Imagineering Story, which I thought was excellent. Six episodes uh, on Disney Plus about the history of um, the Imagineers and uh, the Imagineering department at, um, at Disney, which I was, I've always been fascinated with. It's like... I mean, I, I've always loved going to Disney World when I when I grew up. I went with my uncle Mark, and then I went with my family a few times. And I just I, I'm I a guy who doesn't show emotion too too often, but like weirdly, Disney World always will hold a special place in my heart a little bit. And those rides and the way that that place makes you feel, and they really drive that home. And in both Imagineering Story and One Day at Disney. I think you, it's easy to be very cynical about Disney and their position in in our land entertainment landscape today. But I, you, it goes back and it shows you the people that are at this giant corporation, and you got to remember that they're not as a whole. They're not evil, I don't think. And um, there are a lot of great people, and and that really do care about what they do, and really love what they do and are are living their dream and i felt like both of these both the one day at disney um it's a one hour film and then the six hours of um imagineering story really kind of showed you both from a historical standpoint of where disneyland and disney world came from and, and how this imagineering department changed and developed over time and um i i just really really dug both of them and um Again, I joked through throughout watching it and being like, one is a six hour long commercial for Disney World and Disneyland, and one is a recruitment video <laughs> to come work at Disney. And that makes sense. They're both on Disney Plus, but they're both entertaining and educational and um and uh I, I really, really dug both of them and it made me it accomplished what it's probably setting out to do, which made me want to go to Disney World and made me go, Oh, working at Disney seems like even though we kind of have this view in, in working as film critics and things like that and, and that they get shit on a lot. And I've sort of some, I hate defending a giant corporation, but I'm just like, all right guys, like you can't blame someone for having success and wanting to keep being more and more successful. I think there's a balance you need to have and not be completely evil. And, and this shows that not everyone there is. And I actually do care about some of the people who, um, like that Imagineering department's fascinating to me because every time I'm like, I you see why like going on these quote unquote kid rides at these theme parks is just like, to me from a technical standpoint of like what they can come up with and build with animatronics and special effects and things like that is just mind blowing to me and it's always been interesting. So then watching this series was was really really cool. I think it's really really well well done. So I watched that and then uh, I think that's it. Uh, and then I watched Cats again, <laughs> Nevis. So why? Uh, why? I don't know because I needed to show Nevis, and she didn't come the first time. So uh, we went to the Queensway Theater. More people this time than my first watch because I was alone that first time. This one had maybe ten, twelve people in the theater. One of the smallest theaters at Queensway. Um, what an awful, awful piece of shit movie. But um, I still kind of weirdly like it. 
Uh, you so would. That was my Christmas break. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I already mentioned Interstellar and Watchmen. Um, I saw uh, Sophia Takal's Black Christmas, okay. which was co-written by uh, former film critic April Wolf. And it's interesting because premise-wise... It's not even really that similar to the original Bob Clark version or even the twenty the two thousand six remake. Um the idea, or at least on the surface, is you know, this serial killer is stalking um sorority girls at this campus and a bunch of them have to defend themselves from this slasher. But what it is doing, like what Watchmen was doing, is it's actually trying to be a very aggressive and progressive movie about feminism and sort of how women and slasher films have sort of reckoned over the course of the late seventies into the eighties and how misogyny and um, violence plays a huge part in the selling point of these movies and how, you know, seen from a female gaze, how does this look? And I think there's a lot there that's really interesting and a lot of, great points that are brought up throughout but it's also very much a, a blunt exercise in that like it tells you everything that you should be feeling and then right. the last act specifically goes in a very tonally odd direction that doesn't feel i don't want to say doesn't feel earned but it it just feels almost like they should have been building to that a lot sooner or the idea of what kind of movie this is Tonally speaking, they should have been up front with because when it takes its turn, it's like, okay, this is really weird. But again, it's looking at sort of like, you know, you know, date rape, male culture, that kind of thing. Like the um, Imogen Poots is the lead in the in the film. They shot it in New Zealand of all places, which is which is kind of odd. Um, but she is a uh, sorority sister who the year prior was raped by a fraternity bro and sort of how she is kind of like dealing with that, but also sort of, again, looking at rape culture in fraternity settings and mm -hmm. all that stuff is really interesting. And again, it brings it up in a way that a lot of slasher flicks don't because they, you know, like to sort of, uh, regale in you know violence towards women specifically. Um, men are you know attacked and 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 slaughtered in in you know horror movies as well. I mean, Jason usually isn't you know uh, against one person or another. He'll kill everybody left and right. But 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 but, <laughs> yeah. but in terms of like the the desired target in these kind of movies, it is women first and foremost, right? Being vulnerable totally, in a situation yeah. that they. Uh, you know, can't the protect final themselves. Girl in. is a term for a reason. Yeah, exactly. Um, unless it's Evil Dead, and then it's sure. it's Ash. Um, but yeah, it, it's so I appreciated it more than I liked the movie. But I think it is worth seeing, just in terms of like it is doing something different from the other two versions of Black Christmas. Right. So I would recommend giving that a shot. Maybe when it's on streaming and, yeah, okay. and what have you. So. Uh, I also watched uh, on that evening as well, Jumanji, The Next Level. Oh, yeah. I keep uh, forgetting that that was out, and we both missed uh, the press screen. Yeah, right? and I just caught it afterwards, and it's fine. Yeah. I, I, I think it's weird that it's become a franchise now, and they are basically doing the same thing that they already did with the last one, but it works because they switch 
characters, the characters right? even though they are more caricatures and i think the rock isn't as good as doing danny devito as somebody else's in the movie who comes up later on but um kevin hart is actually really good at doing danny Glover. oh yeah okay good <laughs> yeah. For him. yeah which i was kind of surprised and again it's 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 an impersonation it's very kind of shallow but i think, it works I think that's just what as those like movies a fun action movie for kids like and i feel like that's what that that franchise will be now it will just yeah. be like you know who can these actors impersonate next yeah and, and even like, the way that like jack black kind of like i gotta give him credit the way he handles like so he's playing um uh, uh the african-american character this time around right. and he does not do he doesn't go to that point where it's like cringeworthy right like he does it just in the right amount where it's like it's funny you know it's right. this person's personality and, and style it doesn't but feel it's like not, offensive no <laughs> yeah, it's not okay so I, I think i will catch up with it at some point it's but, cute um, it's a good plain movie right exactly and i feel like at this point i'm like do i just wait till streaming or i think even with the first jumanji uh not the first the the re- reboot i just randomly went to see it one day like three weeks after it came out so yeah i'll, I'll probably end up doing that again but. it's cute it's an easy watch if you like the people that you saw in the first one or the, I was the, the reboot you'll like this again, again. Yeah. A, a perfect plane movie that yeah that reboot so and i feel like if this is the same then sure yeah, uh, I rewatched uh, Deep Rising, getting ready for Underwater. Uh, sweet, Treat sweet. Williams, um, Jamon Hansu, uh, Wes Studi, Cliff Curtis, uh, Famke Jansen, uh, star in this uh, horror movie at sea where it's a stranded cruise ship. And um, a group of mercenaries infiltrate this cruise ship and everybody is gone or you think that they're gone but they don't know why and then the myst- the mystery is revealed that you know they're on board with this giant tentacle creature um it's not a great movie but it's kind of fun for what it is and it knows what it is and i think it's probably steven summer's best movie the guy who directed oh, gi yeah. joe and uh, the, the mummy. mummy um but i'm kind of a sucker for those underwater water movies i mean this is above water but like the terror comes from below um they're not really that good, but like something like Leviathan and you know Deep Star Six, I do have this weird affection for because they're just kind of fun ripoffs of the thing in Alien, usually. Yeah, and like I just like monster movies, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a good time. Kino uh, Lorber released a Blu-ray uh, last year, and it looks great. Um, it has a great uh, Skidoo sequence. Uh, which is which is a lot of fun, and then I also watched uh, the Good Liar uh, the okay. other day, which I thought was okay. It, um, Ian McKellen, Helen Mirren star in this movie about a con man who meets um, a woman his age on, I believe it's Bumble. Um, oh, yeah. Sharon and, Stone on Bumble. Yes, but apparently these two had no problems. Okay, with, they know, didn't get banned. No, they that. did not get banned. Um, and what's I think the most interesting thing about the movie? So the idea is that you know uh, Ian McKellen plays this uh, aging con man who um, basically is trying to take this uh, recent widower for all she's worth. She's worth a couple million dollars, and the idea is that um, he's going to woo her and then you know take the money and run. Um, but over the course of like 
them dating they go it, it takes place in 2009 oh, yeah. so they go, <laughs> so that well so they go to uh inglorious bastards oh and cool. the movie is playing well like they're watching it for like a minute isn't that weird it that, is like we're at a point where inglorious bastards can be used in another movie that is take is yeah. technically a period piece. yeah and it kind of fits in thematically with what the movie is kind of playing with like there's there are certain twists and reveals that they throw at you but they're done in such a blunt way that you'd never be able to recognize them or or figure them out beforehand because they're not really projected or telegraphed in any way it's, it's just like just left field kind of shit yeah, yeah yeah and and for that i mean that's the stuff that doesn't work but watching mirin and mckellen kind of dig into these performances it was fun watching them and sort of mckellen specifically who kind of looks a little bit like an old tom hanks yeah he's got like the same kind of like nose and kind of like the sunken kind of look yeah um, but it, yeah it, it's 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 fun to watch them ham it up not a great movie but it was okay cool that was uh that was it yeah that was about it cool uh moving on to staying at home i don't think we have a lot to go over here but um on the digital side of things i just quickly these are some things i've picked up over the last um week or so so i picked up uh the peanut butter falcon which was uh they have like an indie sale on apple tv um right now so i picked up peanut butter falcon which i think was either 10 or 15 bucks i couldn't find the price because i had already purchased it and then i also picked up the death of dick long for 15 bucks we gotta watch we should review that yeah i mean we could um and i also rented the nightingale which i haven't watched yet but it was a 99 cent uh rental uh, I gotta get in the mood for that. Yeah, it's or not it's even a, in the mood, but like I need to like prep myself and actually want to sit. It's down a tough and watch, watch but yeah. it is a rewarding one. Yeah, so I rented that, so I have a month to watch it. So stay tuned. Uh, Spaceballs was five dollars in four K, so why not? May the Schwartz be with you. Uh, An Edge of Tomorrow, uh, or sorry, Live Die Repeat. Nope. Colon. Refuse. <laughs> yeah, I know. Refuse. So why? It's just so weird that they did that. Um was seven dollars in 4k which i've been meaning to rewatch, so i picked that up as well uh joker is available on uh 4k this week um the lighthouse is available which is one i kind of want to rewatch at some point it's on blu-ray there's a whole list of stuff i want to give a second watch to but... yeah there's something else as well which we'll what, talk what about do, what else do i have on that brick. list there brick oh yes yeah so kino lorber is releasing that's awesome because uh, that's brick. never been out on it, it Blu-ray, has right? in canada oh. it has gotten a canadian release he but one this did is, it back in the day yeah, yeah but this is like probably a, a way better release yeah and it has an audio commentary new transfer um so definitely worth checking out especially for those ryan johnson lovers uh only one trailer to talk about uh this week too I bad think. new mutants didn't come out uh, right until, yeah because we're recording so, this on a sunday night yeah so. so we're missing the golden globes and new mutants two things that i don't know if you really even need to care about um new mutants is fascinating there was a news story that i didn't put on that was like oh josh boone says it's his original cut that's being yeah released. and it's gonna be pg-13 um so which i mean that might not be a bad thing if it, if it is the original cut it's like just take it for what it is at and this like, point i'm sure disney's like we're not spending money on reshoots let's just see how this goes yeah because they had like, problems with rescheduling for all the cast especially for anya taylor joy who's yeah. kind of becoming 
and technically they didn't put any money into this right it was fox before they bought it yeah so it's just like let's fucking release it and see if this who cares right (laughs) but could you imagine if it does well like and people love it or something like who knows but uh it's because i heard that like the original cut of that film was good like there was nothing wrong with screenings i thought no what what was the problem was apparently is that it went well, like the test screenings, okay. the, the, the the executives liked it, but because it came out around that period, they saw an opportunity to amp up the violence and the horror to make, uh, uh, you know, the more box office out of sure. it, right? And that's why they wanted to do the reshoots originally, it was not because the movie was... They wanted to make it more, like... They wanted Fox more gore, in that more rated yeah. Time and they too. saw that, like, it made, like, three or four hundred million dollars and they're like let's so do play what- that gimmick a little bit yeah right yeah and that was the only reason initially that's what they wanted to do but this movie's been delayed so many times that it's fascinating but um so yeah the golden globes are also tonight which we won't be talking about we'll talk about it a little bit next week um, yeah but we'll see uh the only trailer that we covered so many trailers on the last episode but the only one that has dropped was on new year's day there was a quiet place part two trailer which, which was in front of um, black christmas so that was that full trailer yep oh interesting and when did you see black christmas uh christmas okay so yeah. that did play in theaters for yeah. about you know a couple week. weeks yeah or something yeah yeah. yeah two weeks yeah that's awesome yeah, yeah that's cool but um, they blumhouse does that yeah. You know, like, but it's not Blumhouse, though, right? No, but, but they, it's, but I they guess do it's like get, one of their things with their films. They try yeah. to do cool stuff like that, where they'll release um, the trailer in theaters, but not online. So, uh, I can see why that would play really well in theaters if you didn't know what was about to come up, right? Because it just starts with day one. And then, yeah, I, I thought this trailer was fantastic. Um, uh, for me, again, I keep bringing up Last of Us every time there's a post-apocalyptic movie, but this gives me such last of us vibes again of like, and I was telling Nevis this and one reason why I love post-apocalyptic films or it's not so much that they deal with like zombies or monsters or I, I don't care that much about the creature for the most part. Um, what's interesting that seems it's like the dynamics doing, between the people. Yeah. Right? And that's what, why I love last of us and why I, I love settings like this is like, what if this happened in a world, what does that do to people? And, and it seems like they're exploring that. And I think that's an interesting angle. And I mean, doing the flashbacks is a, is a good way of getting Krasinski back in, in on camera. And I, that's inevitable. Um, but I thought it's opened really strong to show that if the movie, I, I don't know how much backstory they're going to give of how this began to where they are now, but it looks like they're exploring um, these people who have survived. Why have they survived? And maybe the people who have survived aren't the best people because right. <laughs> they'll do it. It's like you've seen it in the road. Uh, you've seen it in last of us. You see it. in a lot of this stuff is like, what does that do to a person? And, and usually the people who survive are the most ruthless people. Right. Right. So, well, I mean, Killian um, Murphy, right? Like keep the kids away from him. He, he right. could throw them down a flight of stairs or <laughs> sure. something. Uh, Dunkirk style. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I thought this trailer was great. I loved uh, A Quiet Place. Um, I don't necessarily think I needed a second one. But because it um, did so well. You know you were going to get it. And yeah. um, and it looks rad. I don't know. I think this looks really cool. I, I don't know how they're going to go into that. But I like involving more people. Um, because if you're... 
the way that the first movie played out, I think that's like, where do you go with that story? And I think yeah. that, that makes sense. But. I think the only thing I'd be worried about is how they treat the mythology of it or if they treat it too preciously. Like, it's what it is, is it's, a, as you mentioned, a dystopian thriller. And the idea is that, you know, you have a group of people kind of either not working together or working together in a situation that is high tension, stress related, and they're are a lot of obstacles that are live and die situations. But at the same time, when you're building on a, a concept or idea that is very light to begin with, it can be off putting or at least, you know, overcomplicating matters when you consider, okay, well we have to explain where the creatures came from. Now we also have to explain, you know, this specific thing of how, you know, the the breakdown of the world sure, and how yeah. things changed. And then you keep on adding more and more to it and you get away from what the original idea was, which was a group of people banding together to fight off something. Simple enough. And usually when you reveal a monster, it becomes infinitely less scary. Yeah. Right? And I mean... Um, and you can only play with the jump scare or kind of the, the building of suspense so much the second time around... Especially when, like, at the end of the first movie, spoiler alert, it's almost like they get over their fear. Like, the, like that final shot of, of Emily mm. Blunt, you know, cocking the shotgun. It's like, it, it almost feels like they're going into aliens instead of alien, right? Yeah. But it doesn't look like they're taking that approach. So, I don't know. I'm 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 curious. And, and we're I doing this in March, right? Yeah. Like, and that's, uh, I think it'll be the first thing that I'm probably... I'm trying to think what comes out in February. Nothing in January. <laughs> no. I mean, Birds of Prey um, opens, and I know some right. people are kind of at least curious about that. But um, I would say I'm curious, but I don't know if it would make, like, next week's episode, we're going to be doing our most anticipated films of, of 2020, our 20 most anticipated films of 2020. Yeah, I don't um, think there's anything on my list until, like, June or no, July. I, like, A Quiet Place 2 is is probably... I have to look. I haven't really done my research yet of what would be on that list. Um, but, I mean, that's the first... Not the first trailer, because we've gotten lots of trailers for things, but like... But the first, first movie thing of the, in the new calendar year that year. you're looking forward to, yes. and it's something to build to, right? Yes, I would. I think that's a perfect way of putting it. So, yeah, I dug this trailer, and um, it's cool that I guess it ran in theaters for a few weeks yeah. before it went online. Um, the news, there's not really that much. I mean, we could go over that entire Netflix slate of films that they dropped. But I mean, we'll be I, talking like, maybe about a couple of I them in so. our 2020 preview. Yeah, but I it was interesting that they they were upfront about what they had. And there's year, a couple of things. Yeah. I don't think they, did they mention the George Clooney movie? I can't remember. Uh, uh, Good Night Midnight? Or I don't Good know. Morning Midnight? Um, but it, because Netflix usually will drop their films within a month or two and they'll release their press kit within that time period, it was interesting seeing like, okay, this is what they're doing for next year. And they are really being aggressive with it in, in, in a marketing strategy and saying like, Hey, we have all these movies, all these filmmakers, you, you, you thought the Irishman yeah. marriage story, two popes and, you know, Dolomite was, is my name was, was, was good, all we had. Yeah. Oh, we got like 40 movies this yeah, year and not some... all of them are going to be six underground. No. Um, Nevis shared a great tweet with me. It was like only Netflix could in the same tweet thread, uh, mention like, uh, 
David Fincher and Spike Jones or not or Spike uh, Lee, and yeah. then also talk about the Kissing Booth too. Right. <laughs> like, well, it's yeah. true. Yeah. It's so I and then I, the parody account was pretty great. That's great. Well. I got taken the, down already. The Cool Beans uh, yeah. movie that Harmony Crin <laughs> would direct about uh, who was it um, in the movie? But it's basically about two baristas or or two heist criminals that. Uh, break into a Starbucks in a uh, Vegas casino. Cool. That sounds fantastic. I would watch all of those movies on that fake list, too. Um, that looked great. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. We'll talk about some of those on our most anticipated, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting that Marvel moved up WandaVision from next year to this year on Disney+. Plus. They don't have a set date, but um, I'm guessing that's because after Mandalorian ended, it was like... Man, they don't have a lot of original content like right now on Disney Plus. Like, you're well, series get... wise, anyway. Yeah, that's, that's what right. I mean. Yeah. yeah, and then so it seems like they'll have Mandalorian season two later this year. If WandaVision's ahead of schedule, um, maybe you you're getting Falcon and Winter Soldier this year too, right? Yeah, and um, maybe even uh, Artemis Fowl. Right, that's still supposed to be coming. To so theaters. that trailer played in front of um, Jumanji. Black Christmas, oh, no, no Jumanji, and it was the trailer from earlier uh, in 2019. And then the the it's <laughs> the end said August 2019. Did it yeah. actually? <laughs> God, that's embarrassing. I heard one kid's like, "Mommy, is August already passed?" <laughs> Um, and then, uh, the Uncharted movie lost its seventh director, I think. So Travis Knight no longer, uh, directing Uncharted, um, because Tom Holland is doing Spider-Man 3 before he's doing Uncharted. So Sony moved a bunch of stuff around, which means Travis Knight went bye-bye. It's a shame because I know Travis Knight has been trying to get his next live action movie off the ground since doing Bumblebee. And he does seem like a really interesting director. I mean, he was one of the guys in the running for Venom 2. And um, I hope whatever he gets attached to next, he he has a chance to do another live action movie. Because he does feel like one of those filmmakers that can turn anything that is either stale or mundane and make it fun. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So this Uncharted movie just feels like, just, gotta, stop. like yeah, just stop. Kill it. <laughs> like, just stop. We can't. Like, we gotta keep going. The Mark Wahlberg casting is awful enough that, like, well, and, just, and De Niro and Joe Pesci well, as his back uncles. in the day. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was the original version. Yeah, that was gonna with happen. David well, not, Russell. Yeah, and then like five other people have come and gone since then. I mean, Tom Holland's been the one thing that's stuck around for you know the the last couple of years. But right at this point, just you know, maybe just let it be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's gonna also be like a fifth end Indiana Jones movie that's gonna right be that you're gonna have to compete with, yeah, right next that, year. Like, so yeah, so just I don't know, let Tom Holland go do that or something. I don't know. Right or don't do it at all. Um, remember when people wanted Chris Pratt to do Indiana Jones? Uh, Chris Pratt and uh, Tom Holland and uh, voice and characters in Oddward. There you go. Yeah. There's that connection. Always bringing it back. Uh, that was all the news for this week. There wasn't really, unless I missed something. No, no. The it's the, it's the holidays, so you're yeah. not getting that much in terms of casting or. And I didn't want to put too much on news. there if we're going to talk about our top films of the year. Yeah. Um. So we can get straight into that. So uh, we were having a little bit of a conversation before. We were recording today, and uh, we did this last year. We're going to do our top 25 films of 2019, both Eric 
and I's list. You guys, I mean, we've done lists like this before for TIFF and and, and last year and, and and things like that. But, well, our top twenty five um, of the decade. Oh, as we well. just did that recently. Yeah, yeah come on, that's what we did. I thought it was TIFF, but it was the decade. Um, so you guys should check out that episode. That episode was dope. Uh, Eric and I did a top twenty five of the decade, um, which you guys should check out. Each of us did. So we're going to be doing the same thing for last year. Um, I had, I mean, we can reflect on the year as a whole. Um, looking at my top twenty five is and and talking about some of these films that I didn't even make my list that I I almost have a whole separate list of like shit I want to give another chance to which includes Uncut Gems and and the Lighthouse and uh, what else didn't I uh, what other A twenty four movies like, no I mean Little Women even right like I mean that review went up and I I I've probably been pretty sour on it comparatively to some people but um I don't know I think a lot of those films sometimes benefit from a you know, second watch once you know exactly what to expect. So, um, and then I looked at my top 25 and I'm like, I don't even know if I want to do a 25 this year. Like I'm pretty confident with like one to five and then from five to 10, I'm still fairly confident or five to 15 probably, but then 15 to 20. Okay. And then 20 to 25. I'm like, I don't know about some of this 25 stuff, though like, always has to be the oh, statement. Oh, I'll make a statement with 25. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. how did you feel overall this year? Like, um, I, well, I mean, I think I like mean, with award season coming up too, like, like any year, it was a good year. Like you just yeah. have to look for stuff, but there was plenty of, 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 of worthy candidates that didn't even make my top 25, yeah. you know, like there was at least probably five more films that could have been in the in the running. Did you at make least. an honorable mentions list? I didn't. no, I, I I didn't just because I had twenty five already, and I was just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I don't really need to add that mm-hmm. many more. But like there, were, like Little Women's a movie that didn't make the list, but I really really enjoyed, and you know, like even something like Spider Man uh, Far From Home, not you know a top twenty five contender, but a really solid uh, Spider Man entry. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think what else I would even maybe give a shout out to, but um, crawl. <laughs> uh, I mean, I had fun with crawl, but like again, I feel like there was a lot this year that I'm like, you know, I I enjoyed, but haven't hasn't really stuck with me, if that makes sense. But, right. Um, but anyways, let's get to it. How do you want to approach this? Do you want to do like what we did last time in groups of ten, or and then do the top five at the end, or yeah, and let's maybe just whiz through our our bottom stuff yeah Yeah. from 25 to 10 yeah exactly or do you just want to do that in one chunk and then just go in more in detail of our top 10 Uh, yeah i think we should do do that that. okay cool i mean i can kick it off i'll do my uh so we're gonna go 25 to 10 right yep and then leave our top 10 so here is matt rorbeck's top 25 films of 2019 so you're gonna stop at 11 11 will be the last one i reveal and then i'll leave the top 10 for you know, a further discussion. Yes. Not further right after this. Anyways, we're convoluting this. Number 25, Cats. You are crazy. <laughs> Gave it half a star. But you know what? I, I, I've seen it twice now. I took uh, my beautiful fiance, Nevis, to see it at uh, a noon showing at Queensway. It was uh, 10 more people than were there th- during my empty screening a couple weeks ago. Uh, still weirdly enjoyed it and you know what it's such a i don't know like it there's not very many movies i saw twice in theaters this year not very many movies like cats ever made. ever <laughs> so 
I don't know. I've just had the the music stuck in my head, and it is a horrible garbage movie. Uh, but it's almost like a, a like a garbage truck on fire. Like if it drove down the street, you just kind of like be like, "What the fuck?" and have to like want you want to know the story of it, and you're like, "What is happening?" and you're just fascinated with it. And um, I really weirdly enjoy Cats. And is it one of the best films? My list is always what did I enjoy the most this right. year? And uh, Cats is a horrible movie that I really kind of had a good time with, which you guys can listen to our whole review. I think they and, should put um, that on the uh, on the 4K and Blu-ray. So, so that's my statement with 25. I won't go over every movie like that. Yeah. But, like, um, but Cats was I think you needed statement. to explain that one. <laughs> uh, 24, uh, a movie we reviewed, um, which, I mean, you guys have heard me at nauseam talk about how uh the kind of funny crew and i I watched waiting for the punchline this year um the doc about the san francisco comedy scene with nick scarpino and and um again i it just really connected with me because i really like those guys i thought it was uh uh, another movie that i just wanted i wanted to put on this list to give a shout out to because i don't think it'll be on very many people's list because it's probably one of the most obscure things that i've watched this year a very small group of people you guys can watch it on like rooster teeth right now but i 24 is waiting for the punchline 23 alita battle angel uh which surprised the hell out of me this year i really had a great time with it uh 22 hustlers again thought it was uh was great <laughs> and um uh which kind of took me off like, i wasn't expecting it to be bad but i didn't expect to enjoy it as much as i as i did um number 21 triple frontier another movie i did not expect to make my top 25 of the year at the beginning of the year uh that experience watching it in cinema 2 at lightbox and atmos just a a really solid heist film and um i just really enjoyed the shit out of it um number 20 high flying bird um fascinated that it's shot completely on iphone i thought it was a really excellent kind of uh sports film that, and heist uh, movie and, and a heist movie kind of yeah and uh uh Soderbergh just that I think another one of the most criminally underwatched films of the year that I think is really really excellent that I don't think many people watched um but I don't know it's on Netflix I'm sure a shit ton of people watched it but right. I didn't hear many or at least they scrolled it. through it um 19 Toy Story 4 uh you guys can again listen to our review um a movie that slid down a little bit like I really enjoyed it on that first watch um haven't had a strong desire to go back to it, but I remember really, really enjoying it. Uh, 18 marriage story, uh, 17 Jojo rabbit, number 16 waves, number 15, the beach bum, number 14, uh, rocket man, number 13, the farewell, number 12, Spider-Man far from home, which you just brought up. Um, and number 11, I don't think it'll be on very many people's lists, but Hey, I love star Wars is star Wars. The rise of Skywalker. I'm going to say I had cats on twice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so quickly, I, I mean, I, I won't go over everything, but, um, star Wars as divisive as it's been. Um, I really loved it both times that I've seen it. I think it has major, major issues, but fuck, I just love star Wars. And should and, you say um, Frick? Yeah, Babu Frick, I love Star Wars. The Mysterio stuff in Spider-Man Far From Home is excellent. The European setting's really cool of getting it out of New York. I thought it was a perfect follow-up. Um The Farewell, um uh amazing, amazing, amazing stuff. Uh Aquafina is fantastic in that movie. Um the woman who plays her grandmother, Nai Nai, is is also great. 
uh, Rocketman completely caught me off guard after hating um, Bohemian Rhapsody Rhapsody last year. I think Rocketman is a fucking blast. I think it's awesome. Beach Bum, the perfect stoner film. Waves has issues, but I love its ambition and the way that it plays with style and and music and and, Aspect uh, aspect ratio, I think, is incredible. Jojo Rabbit, I don't think, nails all the emotional beats, but um, I think it's very, very funny and very well done. Um, And Marriage Story, I think, has some great, great, great performances, and it's... um, um, funnier than i expected to be and not as like depressing it was just a, a really really interesting uh oddly sweet watch for me like i just i it wasn't as crushing and depressing as i thought it was going to be and and um I no think it's adam, like life there's ups yeah. and downs i think adam driver is is amazing in that movie and scarlett johansson's uh is good as well and and then i explain the rest so those are my 25 to 11 all right i'm just gonna whiz through these so, coming in at number 25, uh, How to Train Your Dragon, uh, The Hidden World. Wow, okay. Yeah. Uh, number 24, Uncut Gems. Number 23, Her Smell. Uh, number 22, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Uh, number 21, Midsommar. Uh, number 20, Monos. Number 19, Pain and Glory. Number 18, Booksmart. Number 17, High Flying Bird. Number 16, Beanpole. Number 15, Amazing Grace. Uh, Number 14, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Number 13, The Souvenir. Uh, Number 12, The Nightingale. And at number 11, The Beach Bum. Cool. Thoughts in... Well, overall, I mean, like, I was trying to look at what I really love this year and also what kind of stuck with me. Like... There are movies on this list like The Last Black Man in San Francisco and Booksmart um, that opened in the summer. And then, you know, like The Hidden World opened up, uh, How to Train Your Dragon opened up almost a year ago from now. Yeah. Um, But I felt it was the perfect way to close, you know, an almost 10 year trilogy of films. And those movies really don't get enough credit as wonderfully sort of constructed stories that go in a direction that feel organic to the narrative, but also they understand, you know, the playfulness and, and the danger of the era that they've, they've set this in, you know, the Viking era sort of storyline and that there are actual repercussions to actions and what it means to be a leader and how, you know, you don't don't just become a leader. You have to grow and mature and adapt to situations. And once you become the leader, it just doesn't stop. You have to keep, you know, being open to suggestions and ideas and inventions. And I feel that all of that is really done in a beautiful way. And sort of the bond between Hiccup and Toothless is is a really strong uh, partnership. It's cool. That's a cool statement movie because I wasn't expecting that to be on your list, and because I hadn't even seen it. And I think, like you and said, I like all three of them, but it's it, it, they're, they're same, weird they are movies those weird, where those, like it's like yeah. you don't necessarily think of them as like classics, uh, or yeah, anything. classics or like 
when you talk about like you know animated films you'll mention the toy story movies first or a lot of the disney pixar stuff and then when it comes to the outliers you'll go to you know fantastic mr fox or anomalisa like out of the dreamworks stuff i think that this is the the best representation of great storytelling and really beautiful um cgi animation and then you had a couple movies on your list that Again, fall in that category of like I need to give them another shot, which is right, like the uncut uh, gems, her yeah. smell, yeah, um, yeah. But then we have high flying bird and the beach bum and stuff like that. And then there's some, I mean, there are some movies that are more challenging, like Beanpole and the Nightingale. But again, you know, they're rewarding watches because they have something to say about either the period they take place in or the conditions in which humans have to survive. You know, mm-hmm. like Beanpole being post-World War II Leningrad and um, the Nightingale being, uh, you know, post-colonial or of the colonial era in Tasmania. Like, it's... There are movies that... More so with Nightingale. Nightingale is, is for some, will be an endurance because it is so depressing and harsh but at the same time it actually is trying to say something about you know feminism and colonialism and cultural uh, appropriation and violence and it's doing it in a way that is very much in your face but saying we have to talk about this the way that watchmen is saying we have to talk about you know uh, mm-hmm. racism in america and we just can't be blind to it anymore mm-hmm. i think both um beanpole and Nightingale are available in that indie sale that was on iTunes. Well, Beanpole so. actually it hasn't been released yet. Oh, really? I thought I saw it. So on Beanpole there. isn't. Uh, it, or maybe it was just it's coming soon. Yeah, maybe. it's theatrical releases in January, but it's it's eligible. Oh, it was for, on the Apple trailers. Yeah, is where I but it's saw eligible it. for um, uh, it's uh, Russia's submission for, for best international film. this year. Okay, yeah. cool. Uh, anything else on your eleven to twenty? Uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, my brother Kyle and I have been listening to the score a lot. Uh, it's incredible, yeah. Yeah, uh, Emile uh, Mosser, uh does amazing work on that. Um, I think it also has one of the best performances of the year from Jonathan Majors. And to jump off that point, my number 10 is The Last Black Man in San Francisco. So, perfect segue. Uh, you know what? I'll go through... I think some of these are going to be similar. I'll just run through them. Uh, so here are my top 10 films of 2019. Number 10, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Uh, number 9, Midsummer. Uh, number 8, Ad Astra. Number 7, Under the Silver Lake. Oh, I wanted to switch these two movies. Eh, too late. Number 7, <laughs> Under Under the Silver Lake. Number 6, Joker. Number 5, Avengers Endgame. Number 4, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Number 3, Watchmen. Yes, it's on my best films of the year list. I don't care. Uh, number 2, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And my, I, what I believe is... Not only one of the best films of the year, but one of the best films of the decade. So, spoiler, a couple of these movies were on that list. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, I think, is the best film of the year. All right, and I'll quickly go through mine. So, my number 10 is The Irishman. Number 9, A Hidden Life. Uh, Number uh, 8, High Life. Number 7, Apollo 11. Number six, Ad Astra. Number five, The Farewell. Number four, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Number three, Marriage Story. Number two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) And number one, one of the best movies of the year, but also of the decade, Parasite. There we go. We have the same one-two punch. Look at us. Yes. Look at us. Just in sync. 
Um, yeah, we had some crossover there. I mean, some of my stuff uh, appeared later in your list with um, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and Midsummer, and Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, for me, yeah, I mean, Joker was such a... Uh, a visceral experience in that first watch at TIFF and then that second watch on 70 millimeter at varsity. And, um, it's one of those movies we, we talked about it. It's, it feels like the, in very different ways, you mentioned it being like the green book of this year Yeah, of like, I really, really do love the film or really, really enjoy it. But the, a lot of it surrounding it is, uh, frustrating, whether it be, Todd Phillips himself or just kind of the discourse or anything like that. But I really do think Joker is excellent. Um, Endgame, we talk about Marvel constantly. You guys know how much I've enjoyed the MCU over the last 10 years. So I thought that was a perfect culmination of, of the last 10 years of storytelling. And uh, uh, again, talking about Star Wars and comparing them because they have the same owner. And I talked a lot about Disney earlier. I just th- felt like Marvel has done such a great job of what I wish kind of Star Wars did um, over the last uh, 10 years. I mean, Star Wars less than 10 years, but um, I just uh, I'm obsessed. I think Endgame is is as close to being a perfect ending to what that could have been as it as it ended up being and i liked it um, um more than the rise of skywalker weirdly is like a satisfying yeah, yeah conclusion that's what i, to I, 10 I agree years. i agree that's what I, I i totally agree with that um watchmen we talked about it we gushed about it earlier on i did a last minute switch where yeah I'm just i like, could have done that as well and like honestly and like, like parasite like is my favorite film of 2019 but watchmen could have been number one or two, two as well yeah same so that's one a one b you know yeah I, parasite once upon a time in hollywood watchmen beautiful day in the neighborhood avengers endgame those five films or one television program um will i think will stick with me again the one thing beautiful day in the neighborhood i'm curious to rewatch because i did have such a fantastic experience that first time and i wonder if that would whether I I still go no, I think it's it's one of the best films of the decade because I had it. I think it's how list. you do a biopic, and, like yeah, that's think, truly, yeah. and it's not like it can still be about a historical figure, but it actually is more than just that. And having Mariel Heller, who also directed "Can You Ever Forgive Me" from the previous year, is making a movie about positive male role models in a time where there are very few and far yeah. between, especially in a position of power that you know fred rogers had yeah and inject so much style in it that's not never distracting and he was the genuine article and it's not your traditional bio no and i love that about that movie and um so those top five movies i i'm absolutely in love with and um uh, and then when you get to i mean under the silver lake which i think kind of got a bad rap and uh, i really again i watched it under perfect circumstances yeah um but I just I was really taken aback, and I'm like, this movie I think will be that a cult, a cult classic. classic that I think will live on a little bit longer than some of these other it's movies. It's such it will a have- weird and obsessive movie, and like every detail is ludicrous, but at the same time so thought out. And like again, I I agree with you. Like I think I didn't love the movie, but I think that there's a lot to like about the film, and it got such a bad rap from Cannes last year, not 2019, but 2018 when it originally played, 
that like A twenty four just unceremoniously dumped it, you know, and they put out streaming. a lot of weird shit. I would yeah. just wish they gave it a shot. shot. Yeah, like and for me having to go on Amazon Prime and it's not a Prime original or anything. Like it didn't even have a high profile. They could have used it with their deal with apple or something like that but like it just like you said just kind of got dumped and like it was impossible to watch until it just was available everywhere (laughs) and then um it took me a a month or two after it was even on streaming um to watch it and um i I thought it was great like if you told me out of all these movies what i would want to like rewatch at this moment i think it would be up there um uh because again i it is a movie that I think you could also obsess over and like the character does and, and, find and stumble into it. something that you're not That's, expecting yeah, and stumble just, into. And I think it's, it's awesome. And I just, I feel like it again was criminally underwatched. And I feel like when people start to perfect stoner movie too, with beach bum, I think both of those <laughs> movies, like, I also think um, that beach bum and uncut gems would make a good double bill. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Where it's like you have like they're they they are well more so beach bum, but they are comedic performances centered around you know worlds that are I in the sense of uncut gems more serious or the world around them is, sure. is more serious. But in beach bum, you could argue that there's also that for a right. little bit. Um, uncut gems is that one film that I keep thinking about and that I keep wanting to rewatch. So I think that's a good sign. Um, and every trailer I see, every person I talk to makes me want to go see it again. Um, I haven't gone to go see it at Lightbox. Um, I might wait till it, it is on Netflix Canada, I think, on the 31st of January. Um, so I might watch that then. That is the one movie, and I think Lighthouse to an extent as well. Um, the ones that I really, really do want to rewatch, even though those first watches... I felt disappointed a little bit. Right. Um, and then when you get into the rest of, yeah, my, uh, again, yeah, uh, Ad Astra, Midsummer, and Last Black Man, I think, are just all, um, I just re- remember being taken aback after. And I really go by my, like, gut feeling when I leave a, leave a movie of how it made me feel in that moment uh, more so than anything. And uh, um, I, I really, really loved it. So, yeah. And- all of those. And looking at my list, I, like I, I think the two that I'm really surprised made my top ten because they're filmmakers that I'm always more respectful of and in admiration what they do, but not necessarily in love with their work is Terrence Malick and James Gray. And those guys, their movies this year worked on not only a poetic level, but on an emotional level that I haven't seen from them either in a very long time or Hidden Life ever. would be on that list as well, not to cut you off. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I, on that and, list and of shit, I, I, I do want to give another it, shot to. And yeah, we saw it very late into the festival. And at like 9 a.m. 9 a.m. But it hit me in a way that I really felt like this was a character, this was a human being that really stood for something and actually, you know, went all the way with those morals and those beliefs and not in necessarily just... A, a, a Christian way, but in a, you know, a, a humane manner and said, like, these are the things I stand for and I will not be dissuaded by, you know, fear and intolerance and martyrism. And and again, I think Malik's, you know, a, a great visual poet and filmmaker and his movies can also be extremely tedious. 
but this kind of gets in his own way sometimes. Yeah, but but I think this worked because he had a story to go by. And then with Ad Astra, Ad Astra is the one that really surprised me because, like, I keep thinking about certain shots. Like, there's the one shot where Brad Pitt is sort of climbing through the rustic water uh, with the rope and, you know, the emotion of, you know, getting over or getting out of your father's shadow, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that storyline is actually very beautiful and cathartic in a in a weird and interesting way. And the cinematography by Hoyt Van Hoytema should be, you know, right up there with, with the year's very best, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's it's good stuff. And then, like, just, like, looking at, you know, High Life, uh, Apollo 11, and Ad Astra, that's my, my space trilogy in mm-hmm. there. But, like, watching... Apollo 11, some of the best editing of of the year, and I don't know how Todd Douglas Miller did it without going crazy, because that footage is immaculate and so well put together, and it feels like it's unfolding in real time. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, That movie, again, something... I, I've told that story before, but I was so tired when I watched that movie at Lightbox that I did purchase it though, and it, it I was blown away with how good that movie looked. Yeah, and and just like have having never seen it before, mm-hmm. like just like that footage has never been available to anybody, mm-hmm. and watching it, it's like you're right there with you know Buzz Aldrin and Neil Armstrong. And, yeah, it looks like it was shot like last week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it's incredible. Um, and then yeah, going quickly to Parasite again, like yeah, I feel. We- like Bong Joon Ho, I mean, I've the first movie of his that I saw was The Host, and then I went back and saw Memories of Murder, and have fallen in love with the man and his filmmaking since then. And like every time I see one of his movies, I'm completely blown away by what he is able to do because any other filmmaker that is attempting to put every style of filmmaking and tone into one movie mm-hmm. doesn't succeed they can't it's impossible and yet he does it and he does it with such style and adds flourishes to it and there's a shot in that movie that i will never forget <laughs> of a head peeping yeah it's great uh but it's 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 incredible and i think the same can go for tarantino too where i just well, it's, a, it's, like... a, it's an amazing hangout yeah film. like it's not necessarily interested in plot right like you are hanging out with these two guys over the course of three days and you kind of enjoy you know indulging in tarantino's love of that era of when he grew up but he know? does such a good job of planting the piece is there that all kind of come together in that last thing though it's it's not masked but it is sort of masked as a hangout film but then there is this culmination of this you know fairy tale kind of story, weirdly fairy tale story at the end and i, I going back and I, I can't wait to rewatch that as well and parasite i've been itching to rewatch since um since we saw it at tiff and um i i'm glad i've held off because i'm excited to rewatch it once it finally i think at the end of this month comes out on digital at least yeah and i think it's um, digitally available going to be available on 4k mm-hmm. but i know like in i think it's like germany mm-hmm. and in parts of other parts of europe it is available on physical media in 4k yeah neon just doesn't want to release anything on 4k up there it's Weird. like apollo 11 is another one that's gotten Only uh, 4k digital, releases yeah. digitally uh digitally but also yeah. physically internationally weird but yeah that one two punch of those two films this year i mean we're on the exact same page i think it's yeah. just uh to me i hope that those two movies are the front runners leading into award season and i do truly believe that they are leaps and bounds the best two films of the year um and then i would put watchmen as the best television show of the year which i just think is one of the best stories of the year which is why i had to put that at number three and then um yeah i just think those three things this year are i think the things that will 
I, I will go back and rewatch over and over again for me yeah. personally. And then like three, uh, four and five being marriage story, portrait of a lady on fire and the farewell are all about relationships, whether mm-hmm. they be, you know, relationships between a grandmother and granddaughter between two people that can't really be together. And then two people that are separating. It looks at these dynamics in such interesting and very specific ways. And I feel that each one is emotional but also again very rewarding when watching it and you're 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 getting a sense of the filmmaker who's telling this story and seeing a very personal perspective from their points of view totally so a great film not a great film a great year for film um i'm excited for 2020 it seems like a crazy year whether it's that list of netflix films or just the list of filmmakers that are coming this year um and even from a blockbuster standpoint i guess the first year in a while we're not getting a star wars movie we're getting two weird Marvel prop. Well, not weird ones, Black Widow, but the other being the Eternals. But we're, we're getting a weird sci-fi movie with Dune. Dune, which is going to take that Star Wars spot, right? And we're just uh, we have Top Gun coming back. You have those legacy sequels continuing. Um, Playing with the boys. It's going to be. I'm I'm excited to see what this year will bring. And and as much as I felt like my top twenty-five this year was a little weird in that twenty to twenty-five range, I think. Obviously, this will change, and 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 once I do best of the decade, and I'll be curious in nine years of 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 what films from this year will make it, or how my even list from this year will change. Because like we'll be social, in our forties by the time network, we get to yeah, uh, oh god, twenty twenty nine. Even right? like Social Network, which I said it was the best film uh, uh, of the decade, wasn't even my top film of that year same, when I did. Same. So it's interesting, and I, I'm curious to see how. My tastes will change, and and uh, but overall, that top group of movies this year I think are fantastic, and every year is a good year for movies. So yeah, um, you just you just need to look, like you need to just think about it and actually be aware of what's out there and do a little research and and digging. Like it's not just gonna you know present itself to you in in every festival or every screening, and sometimes you just need to you know, be open to exploring different filmmakers and different styles and, and, and don't be afraid to rewatch stuff too. Yeah. Even stuff that you didn't like stuff that you uh, liked. I mean, uh, a lot of people, I don't think if you're just a casual movie goer or, or you, a lot of people sometimes just don't rewatch films and I, I, I get a lot out of it from a second watch. And that's why I like looking back at these lists that I make and, and see if I, if things change, cause usually they do on a second watch or, or even a third watch. I mean, Tarantino had that appearance on a podcast the other day where he talked about Dunkirk being his second favorite film of the decade and, and how he never really appreciated it until his like third watch of it, which I think thought was interesting. So we'll see how this list changes over the years. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Um, a teaser for next week. Like I mentioned earlier, Eric and I will be going over our, the untitled movie podcast, 20 most anticipated films of 2020. Um, so we'll dedicate our next episode to that and, uh, probably a new mutants trailer and a few other things. Um, but thank you all for listening. Um, if you like this, we have another show called untitled movie reviews where Eric and I get together and usually, in a shorter amount of time, although they feel like they keep getting longer and longer, uh, we uh, slightly more professionally review uh, new release films. Like Cats. Uh, like Cats and 1917 and Little Women and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So please go over there uh, and subscribe and, uh, and, and listen to that channel as well. Um, 
Our newest reviews this year, we think we'll be reviewing Underwater as well as... Doolittle. Uh, Doolittle. <laughs> so those will probably be your first reviews. January is a, a weird, weird time, so uh, we'll see how those go. Um, but as always, my name is Matt Rohrbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, uh, mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com. Oh, Bad Boys will be reviewing, Oh, yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Yeah, which I keep forgetting is coming. That's yeah. the one thing. I wrote an article about it, which is why it triggered it. I wrote an article for Cineplex. You'll probably see that soon. Um, and you can find me around all of the social medias, uh, mostly Letterboxd and Twitter, at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchin. You can find more of my reviews and... Uh... Other things on rogerstv.com slash cinemascene and on the social medias at EM6211, specifically Letterboxd, Twitter, and Instagram. We also have uh, a Untitled Movie Podcast uh, handle on Instagram and, and Twitter at uh, uh, Untitled underscore podcast. Untitled underscore cast, oh, I okay. believe. And then we're also on Facebook yes. as well. Um, until next time. TikTok.